You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Leviticus 25. All right, let's get started. All right, so what purpose does the law serve? When we read Leviticus, what purpose does it serve? To show God's people how to love God and how to love each other. Very good. All right, Matthew uh, chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, just to recap from last week. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the important part. The entire law and all demands of all the prophets are based on these two commandments. All right, so what does that mean? If you can do these two things, you can do all of the law, right, without even having to think about it. All right, so as we read through this, I want us to ask ourselves this question, all right? If these laws are put in place to help us to love God or to love others, every law we read, we need to think in our mind, okay, how does this practically help me or the children of God at the time to love God more or to love others more, okay? Now, we're actually going to stand for today's reading. I know you just got comfy. Starting in verse 1. I just love reading together corporately. So if you have to re-stretch your leg, I'm sorry. All right, verse 1. Chapter 25, verse 1. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land I'm giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. So for six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops, But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. And don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during the Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, and the temporary residents who live with you. Your livestock and the wild animals in your land will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. So skip down to verse 18. If you want to live securely in the land, follow my decrees and obey my regulations. Then the land will yield large crops and you will eat your fill and live securely in it. But you might ask, will we eat during, uh, what will we eat during the seventh year since we are not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year? Be assured that I will send my blessing for you in the sixth year so that the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. When you plant your fields in the eighth year, you will still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. In fact, you will still be eating from that large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. All right, you may be seated. All right, so there's a lot to uh, apply practically in this chapter tonight. Leviticus is probably the toughest book of the Bible to teach because there's so much stuff that doesn't apply to us today. And so we have to explain that and explain the culture and explain the timing of those laws and then try to apply that to our lives, okay? So it's this weird backdoor approach to try to find application, right? All right, so they were to give this land. So remember, this land that God gave them, the promised land, that he led them out of Egypt for. He gave them this land, and it was theirs to keep, all right? Now, they had a Sabbath day that they were supposed to keep for themselves, But now God is adding new laws. Not only do you have a Sabbath for yourself, but now the land has a Sabbath. It's a Sabbath year. 
All right? Think about that. They were to plant crops for six years straight and then let the land rest for an entire year. Let that sink in. How wonderful was that, right? That is awesome. I like these kinds of laws. I want to keep applying these kinds of laws, okay? So you already, these people already get the Sabbath on a weekly basis. Then throughout the year, they get other days off for other celebrations and for, and for different processes. And now, every seventh year, they are getting an entire year off, okay? I can handle that. So, show of hands, who would have a hard time taking every seventh year completely off where you don't have to work? Man, that is really sad. I saw three hands. Man, we got some workaholics in here. We got to do some work tonight. All right. So God says in the Sabbath year, just eat what grows up. Don't store any food. You don't even have to prune the vines. You don't have to do anything. Just leave it. All right. So all they had to do was just basically eat. Okay. Which is great. He says, if you'll be obedient to my commands, I will give you crops so bountiful that on the sixth year, the harvest will be so large that he'll give, us, he'll give them three years' worth of crops, okay? It will be more than enough to carry you through the sixth year and the Sabbath year and even on into the harvest the following year. Okay, so imagine here, this year in 2016, I gave you three years' salary. So it lasted through all of 2016. You got to take the entire year off next year, had plenty of money for that, and then in 2018, when you started working again and earning money again, you still had an entire year's salary left to decide to do what you wanted with, okay? That sounds like a wonderful thing, right? So the people of Israel, I'm sure, were just so pleased by this, and they were so happy that the Lord did this for them, right? No, the, the, Israel, the Israeli people never obeyed. They were so bad at obedience. But you know what? The Old Testament law was there to show us that we cannot be perfect on our own. We need Jesus. All right, so here's what's so funny about this command here. One day, present day, some brilliant scientist is going to stumble upon this plan that if you will, if farmers will just plant crops for six years and then just rest for an entire year and not do anything, the crops will actually produce way more than if you had just worked the seventh year, okay? And some scientists, when they stumble upon this, if they haven't already, will be labeled an absolute genius, right? And all they had to do was <laughs> read their Bible, okay? So the scientists will be amazed at the enormity of the crop, and they'll be amazed that you can take a vacation for an entire year and still get more crops produced than if you had just worked nonstop. But sure enough, you know people, you and me, I could tell by the lack of showing of hands a while ago, People will not do it because we will instantly think, well, that doesn't sound right. You know, I don't know if I can do that. All right. So we've lost faith already. All right. I remember growing up and we would always go to my grandma's house on Sundays uh, to eat dinner. And I remember there would be like no cars on the road. There would be almost no businesses open. You know why? Because everyone wanted to rest on the Sabbath. We don't really see that anymore. Now it's, it's, can we find the one business that is closed on Sundays, right? 
Now, I wonder if the rise in overall unhappiness in America the last few years has anything to do with us not ever getting any rest. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Just a theory. Also, okay, so the past couple of years, I've been taking some classes in school, right? <laughs> and I, I really need to learn this lesson soon, but I haven't. So every time I'd have an exam, I would wait to study, and I would think, okay, if I can just study all night, and then all day the next morning, I'll be prepared for the test that evening. So I will stay up all night, I will be exhausted, and I will go, and I will take my exam And sure enough, in the middle of the exam, I regret staying up all night. And I think, man, if I had just gotten a good night's rest. So the lesson I have to learn is the same lesson the Israeli people had to learn. So I have in in my mind, okay, if I can just squeeze all this study in it, I'll be even that much more prepared. But it's not the case. The rest, for me, was way more important than the study time. And that's what the people of Israel felt uh, as well. So you know what? So God gave them this awesome gift of a year off every seven years, and they didn't take it. All right? How many times did they take it? Any guesses? Zero. Not even one time. So we'll learn later on in Scripture that they were actually in the Promised Land for 490 years, and they had yet to take this year of vacation off. Okay? So this is what God says. God says, okay, my land that I provided for you needs seven, or every seven years, it needs a year off. You guys have been plowing the land for 490 years, and you haven't given any rest. So the way I look at it is you owe me 70 years of rest. So this is what he does. He tells his people, you are going to be exiled for 70 years. In essence, to say, I have to give my land 70 years to basically recover from all the the beating that you've done to it. Now, if, if Phil ever gives me 70 years, no, I'm just kidding. I would be here. I would stay here. All right. So God is incredibly kind and generous with us, is he not? We look at individual commands through Leviticus and really all through the Bible, and we think, man, that's just really hard. I mean, we just have to do that. Or, man, that's just really harsh. Man, that sounds mean. All, right? all the while, we don't realize that the thing that is actually harsh is what will happen to us if we don't obey God's command. All right, so imagine the anger of a small child who thinks his mom is just completely ruining his fun by not letting him touch his hand to the hot stove, okay? Just completely ruining his fun, right? So he touches the stove and she's not looking. What does he do? He realizes, okay, mom was smarter than I thought, all right? So how many times do we unfortunately learn the full picture of God's goodness for us after we sin. If we would just obey in the first place, we wouldn't have to worry about the damage and the consequences from our sin. We want to be a church that not only trusts God, but also a church that does not have to learn the hard way on everything. I'm one of those people that unfortunately has to learn the hard way on everything, and that's caused me a lot of grief in my life. So we want to learn the right way, not the hard way. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7 through 9. This is what it says. It says, Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord, and he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. 
My thoughts are not like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God did not create us to be miserable when we obey him. He wants us to enjoy him, and he wants us to rest in him. It's supposed to be a good thing to listen to his commands. When we do, two things happen. God gets the honor, God gets the glory, and, number two, we get to share in the fruits. That's one of the things I love about being a Christian. It's not, you know, Islam has this weird slave labor feeling to it. It's you do what Allah says, and then, even after you do it, maybe I'll let you in in the end. So people do crazy things because they feel like they have this huge weight on their shoulders, and they never get to enjoy anything about their faith, right? That's what terrible faith does. God wants us to enjoy him. He wants us to enjoy being obedient, right? So obedience is definitely the way to go. I'm going to say that again. Obedience is always the right way to go. Now, if you think back to your, your entire life, is there one period of time that was perhaps more stress-free than all the rest? If you're like me, it was when I was a kid. You had no worries. You didn't have to you know, think about anything. All you had to do was worry about what you were going to play with and how you were going to have fun that day, right? And why is that? Because we had no responsibilities whatsoever. All we had to do was just enjoy life, right? Our parents were the ones who had the responsibility of providing all of our needs. And this is the way God intended it for us. God provides everything. God worries about everything. We just enjoy him and rest in him. So when Adam and Eve were in the garden, it was the same way. They could do virtually anything they wanted because everything was provided to them. Adam and Eve didn't even have to worry about putting on clothes, all right? That's, how about, that's good for having a, a day off, right, not having to worry about anything, all right? So this is just a small glimpse of what heaven will be like. But you know what? A similar life is offered to us right now. A similar life is offered to us right now. Carefree, stress-free, we just get to enjoy the Lord. Matthew chapter 6. It should be on the screen. uh, Verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add even a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet even Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow... He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? These things dominate our thoughts. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God, and above all else, live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So why does God even require a Sabbath at all? Is it for him? 
No way. The Sabbath was made for people and the land. Everything needs rest, right? God created us that way so that we would find rest in him. The reason God wanted his children to observe the Sabbath had two equal reasons. Number one, to get our spirits focused back on him so that we can have faith in him, so that we can be able to trust him. And number two, so our bodies can rest and regenerate. So think about your work week. All right, so we go into Monday, and we usually go in with lots of energy. And as the day goes, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, Saturday, I mean, it's been a complete drag, and you need a day of rest. I love coming to worship here on Sunday. I love teaching the kids. It's a wonderful thing spiritually, but it's also a wonderful thing physically. We get to just hang out with our friends and worship the Lord, right? So it's very refreshing spiritually and physically. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Do not copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He added the word pleasing on purpose. It's pleasing to us. Now, I know it's very difficult. I can speak from experience. Every little situation that you come across in life, usually the tough ones, right? It's hard to separate how you approach that situation from the way the world would look at it and the way God would look at it. It's really hard because oftentimes the way God wants you to do it seems completely illogical. Am I right? Doesn't it seem that way sometimes? Like, it's like, God, I feel like God wants me to do this, but it makes no sense. And it's one of those things sometimes where <laughs> like, you can't really tell anybody what you're thinking because they're just like, okay, I'll pray for you, you know, that type of thing. But sometimes what the Lord wants us to do feels so uncomfortable naturally. And we have to remind ourselves and reteach ourselves, okay, if I will honor the Lord, he will provide everything that I need including rest physically and mentally if needed. All right, so if you think about how generous God has been with all this time off for the Israelites, get a load of this. Verse 8. In addition, (laughs) you must count off seven, seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Then on the Day of Atonement in the 50th year, Blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout all the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. This 50th year will be a jubilee for you. During that year, you must not plant your fields or store any of the crops again, that grow their own. Don't, give, uh, don't gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The, uh, it will be a jubilee year for you, and you must keep it holy. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own. In the year of jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. Verse 14. When you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other. 
When you buy land from your neighbor, the price you pay must be based on the number of years it's been since the last jubilee, so 50 years ago. The seller must set the price by taking into into account the number of years remaining until the next jubilee. The more years until the next jubilee, the higher the price, the fewer years, the lower the price. After all, the person selling the land is actually selling you a certain number of harvests. Show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord your God. All right. So on top of all of that time off and all of that vacation, he comes in and adds even more, right? So now, remember, we're on this rotation of every seven years you you get a year off, okay? So work six, you're off seven, and then the cycle starts again. So if you're going every seven years and you get the year off, year 49 will be a year off, right? So then he turns around and says, okay, after that 49th year of rest, on the 50th year, you're going to take off that year too. So on Jubilee, they're actually getting two years off in a row. Is no one else excited by that? Okay. You people need help. You guys are workaholics. That or I need to straighten up. I don't know. So now... God's law gets better and better and better for his children. Jubilee would be a complete restart of everything that had happened in the previous 49 years. Now, when I say a complete reset, consider all all the things that could happen in the process of 49 years. All of the buying and selling of goods, if someone doesn't have the money to pay, well, maybe they'll sell their land. Or this person wants to acquire this field to produce even more. And so you have some people that might be building up these gigantic empires, and then some people may, you know, not do so well, and they be, may be left with nothing, or they may end up, uh, you know, a slave working for somebody uh, to work off their debt. But let's remember that God divided up that land and gave all 12 tribes their land, right? That's how they started. Every tribe was together in their own land. Now, On the 50th year of Jubilee, all the debt that had built up, all the payment, all the empires, everything that had been set up, all the, um, you know, we use the term slavery, but it's not slavery in the the way that we know it today. It's slavery in terms of, okay, I owe you this money, so I promise you I will work for you this many years before I, I leave your household, okay? So all these slaves, everything that took place in terms of business, every 50 years, it completely went away. Everything was forgiven. Everything got set back to zero, right? Now, if you think about how crazy that is, you're going to have one of two reactions, right? So here's the first reaction. The first reaction is from the capitalist business mindset. Their reaction to this is going to be, you mean to tell me after all of that hard work and all of those shrewd business decisions, after building up all of my security and wealth, to give to my family, I have to give it all back and start from scratch again? Yep. But let me tell you, church, that attitude can be cancerous to your walk with God. This is an attitude of self-reliance instead of relying on God. This law served as a reminder to his people to be humble about the things that you have. After all, this was not their land. They were guests in God's land. Verse 23 says, this is the land that belongs to me. You are only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. 
So how can someone have the arrogance to say, man, I built this empire, man, I have to give it all away. No, 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 no. You should still be a slave in Egypt. God brought you out of that and blessed you with this land. Whatever he decides to do with you, just be thankful because it's way better than being a slave in Egypt. Now, this naturally helped weed out the idea of selfishness that creeps in when we're on the receiving end of good fortune. So that's the first reaction from the capitalist mindset. The second reaction is going to be on the opposite side. And they would say, so you mean to tell me that the people who had to become slaves to their poor choices or maybe even unfortunate circumstances, they got to have all of their debt and everything reset, and they got to start all over fresh? Absolutely. This served as a reminder that God is gracious and compassionate, and he cares about the redemption of those who are less fortunate. Seeing how God operates should have a very profound effect on the way we handle our business. For those who have been on the receiving side, they have been tremendously blessed. We have to remember that God's blessing is the only reason that you have been so fortunate. It is not your money and your possessions that we have. Those things belong to God. The more money we make, the more generous we should be. Consider all the money that you've ever given away to anyone or anything. Think of the charities, even tithing, anything at all. Do you regret giving that money away? Do you sit around missing that money? When you give someone 10 bucks, it's on the side of the road, even though secretly you're thinking they're a drug dealer. I know your heart. Do you ever regret giving that money away? No way. Never do. There is nothing at all terrible about giving to other people. On the contrary, it's so satisfying and glorifying to God. Now, to those who have been on the receiving end, on the other, the flip side, and they've received a helpful handout during a rough time, remember, most of us, if not all of us, have been there. Remember the feeling of freedom and rescue that you felt when someone provided for your needs when you were just stuck. We should remember that feeling and dedicate our lives to providing the same opportunities for others. So for both groups, the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, was met with a tremendous freedom and thankfulness to God. And not to mention two years off. Like, I, when I read that, I think I just sat in daydream for like 30 minutes on accident about how wonderful it would be to just take some time off. You're just a pastor. You don't do anything. Man, y'all are so sinful. So here's what I want to do. There's... I think 55 verses in this chapter. It's hard to go through line by line through 55 verses in one night. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to end this way. The rest of the chapter breaks down more specifically what goes on with specific transactions of land or help or visitors to the land or something like that. Now remember, every single law that God gave us was supposed to produce one of two things, to help them love God more or to help them love others more. Now, with that mindset, I want us to, as we go through here, I want you to look at the way God's people operated and compare that 
to the way our lives operate today. Knowing that God is all about love, knowing that God is all about generosity, although he is at the same time uh, all about our obedience as well. Let's not forget that. Even though he is all about those things, he is still so loving and kind and patient enough to give us a life that we enjoy. So as we read through these last few verses and we see how God operated, compare it to the way we operate on a daily basis. We're going to start in verse 23. The land must never be sold on a permanent basis, for the land belongs to me. You are only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. With every purchase of land, you must grant the seller the right to buy it back. Isn't that kind? If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell some of his land, then a close relative should buy it back for him. If there is no close relative to buy the land, but the person who sold it gets enough money to buy it back, he then has the right to redeem it from the one who bought it. The price of the land will be discounted according to the number of years until the next jubilee. In this way, the original owner can return to the land. But if the original owner cannot afford to buy back the land, it will remain with the new owner until the next year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee year, the land must be returned to the original owners so they can return to their family land. Let me just pause right quick. These are a lot of people who had the perfect opportunity to snatch up land, to snatch up crops, to snatch up businesses. I mean, it was perfect timing from a capitalist mindset. But what did God require of them? Was it loving just to keep on that profit and just build your empire? No, because it left somebody out in the cold. So if they were able to get their money back, let them get their land back. Verse 29. Anyone who sells a house inside a walled town has the right to buy it back for a full year after its sale. During that year, the seller retains the right to buy it back. But if it is not bought back within a year, the sale of the house within the wall cannot be reversed. It will become the permanent property of the buyer. It will not be returned to the original owner in the year of Ju- until the year of Jubilee. But a house in a village, a settlement without fortified walls, will be treated like property in the countryside. Such a house may be bought back at any time, and it must be returned to the original owner in the year of Jubilee. Verse 32. The Levites always have the right to buy back a house that they have sold within the towns allotted to them. Any property that is sold by the Levites, all houses within the Levitical towns, must be returned in the year of Jubilee. After all, the houses in the towns are reserved for the Levites, and they are the only property that they shall own in Israel. Remember, the Levites, their job was to take care of the temple, so they didn't really get land to grow crops. They had to focus on other things. The open pasture land around the Levitical towns may never be sold. It is their permanent possession. Verse 35. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him the way you would a foreigner or a temporary resident and allow him to live with you. Do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative. Remember, do not charge interest on money that you lend him or make a profit on food that you you sell him. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. 39. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell himself to you, do not treat him as a slave. 
Treat him instead as a hired worker who has temporary, a temporary resident who lives with you. And as a temporary resident who lives with you. And he will serve you only until the year of Jubilee. At that time, he and his children will no longer be obligated to you. And they will return to their clans and go back to the land originally allotted to their ancestors. The people of Israel are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. So they must never be sold as slaves. Show your fear of God by not treating them harshly. However, you may purchase male and female slaves from among the nations around you. You may also purchase children of temporary residents who live among you, including those who have been born in your land. You may treat them as your property, passing them on to your children as a permanent inheritance. You may treat them as slaves, but you must not treat your fellow Israelites this way. Just a quick interject there. That paragraph can be really troubling. I just want to refocus that and just remind you that it's not slavery in the way that we know it in an abusive fashion, um, the way our country has a history of, of doing so, okay? So when you see slavery and you see treat them as property, it only means treat them as property in the sense of they belong, they are devoted to this person for this amount of time, okay? That's a really hard thing to separate. Uh, there's too many people in the world these days that think God is okay with slavery, and that is pathetically wrong. Verse 47, Suppose a foreigner or, or a temporary resident becomes rich while living among you. If any of your fellow Israelites fall into poverty and are forced to sell themselves to such a foreigner or, or a member of his family, they still retain the right to be bought back, even after they have been purchased. They may be bought back by a brother, an uncle, or a cousin. In fact, anyone from the extended family may buy them back. They may also redeem themselves if they have prospered. Verse 50. They will negotiate the price of their freedom with the person who bought them. The price will be based on the number of years from the time that they were sold until the next year of Jubilee. Whatever it would cost to hire a worker for that period of time. If many years still remain until the Jubilee, they will repay the proper proportion of what they received when they sold themselves. If only a few years remain until the year of Jubilee, they will repay a small amount for their redemption. The foreigner must treat them as workers hired on a yearly basis. You must, not allow a foreign, you must not allow a foreign worker to treat any of your fellow Israelites harshly. If any Israelites have not been bought back by the time uh, the, Jub- the year of Jubilee arrived, they and their children must be set free at that time. For the people of Israel belong to me. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Without the Holy Spirit in our life, we have to be loaded with tons of laws and rules because that's the only thing that can guide us. We would be stuck having to memorize every single word of every single line just so we wouldn't mess up. However, Jesus loved us enough to come and completely do away with our sin, to crush our sin, to defeat it, to rise again so that he can give us access to God. One of the ways he gives us access to God is through God's Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit inside us now. So we don't need all these laws. When we come upon a situation, God always prompts us what to do. And hey, the very same action might be wrong to do in this situation, might be right to do in this situation, depending on whether or not you're offending someone or whether or not that action will actually help someone. So sin isn't always black and white either. In every situation, we must have the Spirit leading us and guiding us in what to do. We must be obedient to Him. 
He loves us, and he wants to take really good care of us. If, and that's a big if, if we trust him. Let's pray.